0: Thank you for being here, as I see people coming in, um, some of you haven't been here for a while, so we appreciate you coming back. Um, I know some people reached out to me this morning saying, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it, but we're going to be online, and that's awesome too. Uh, but there's nothing like being together here and, and worshiping together, lifting up our voices, seeing each other. You know, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, meaning don't stop going to church, don't stop gathering with other believers And then it says, because we are to stir one another unto love and good works. You know, as we get together in church and we see each other and we hear what God is doing with you, we we praise God together, we lift up his holy name, Um, that should stir in us and one another love for one another. That will spill over unto our family members that maybe aren't here, and our friends and our coworkers and our teammates. So unto love and good works. You know, when we leave here, this should never be, I guess it's sort of like a holy huddle, right? We get together and we praise God and we focus in his word. But then, using a football analogy, the huddle is not where the action is, right? I mean, you just huddle and you get ready for the action. And church is very much like that. So I hope that you're blessed by being here. I want to thank our our worship team this morning. Uh, Keep them in prayer. They're going through some transitional stages, but we're really excited about what God is doing, what God is going to do. And so I'm I'm really excited. I'm involved with that, and it's looking really, really great. But be in prayer. And I'll say this. For those of you that are hiding out there and have these musical talents, we need you. We need you, all right? So if God somehow has prepared you to uh, be gifted or talented in in some way, especially with musical instruments... um, We're running short on those, and so if you're out there, if that's one of you, because I know we don't know everything about everyone, so um, think about that, and if that's you, and you might be interested in either participating in the worship team, or maybe you're quite the expert and you could teach some of us, uh, whatever, whatever it is that you know, we would also be interested in hearing from you about that. So welcome everyone, those of you online, thank you for joining us. And uh, we hope that, depending on your circumstances, of course, as soon as you're able, we would love to have you here. Now, I'm not much of a prophet in the sense of trying to tell the future, but I am going to say something that I normally wouldn't. I would love to see this place holding at least 200 people every week. At least. Now, that doesn't require, you know, a great amount of faith or insight. That just means that in our members list, there's over 230 people. So there's over 230 people that... Come to Crosspoint on a regular basis. Now, we have a nice core group that comes, maybe about 80 people, and then there's about 60 of you that come one week, don't come next week, they'll be here following week, and it's almost like you trade off with other people. That shouldn't be the case. There is no need for that. Try to be as committed as possible. Understand that this is really important to be here. Um, even those days when you don't feel like coming, those are especially the days that you should dig in deep and, and make it here and expect God to do a, a wonderful work in your life through, through this service. So for those of you that maybe, I'm probably speaking to the choir here, but for those of you that, that, that haven't been quite committed, I would urge you, I would highly encourage you to make it a high priority in your life to be here on Sunday morning. Be here a little bit early so you can get to know people and say hi to one another and get to know uh, others. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm thinking, about 200. Right now we're averaging about, let's say, 85 people on Sunday morning in the English group and another 30 or so in the Spanish. So that puts us right around 110 or 20. Ooh, that's some bad math right there. Like 120. Did I say 85? So about 120 every week. But if, if people were just more committed and be making a point to be here... Uh, we would have about 200 people, and that would be an awesome thing. We'll have to order a little more chairs, do a different setup, but we're eager to do that. We're very eager to be able to, I'll tell you some insight real quick, all right? I don't know why I'm sharing this, but uh, so we are looking forward to the time where we are no longer able to use this setup, but we would have to set up sideways in here so that we could fit more people. And it's never about numbers. I really sincerely can stand here and say, from the elders and myself as a preacher, we have no desire to put a number. What we really want is to just do what God has called us to do and worry about the quality of what we provide for our community here. And we trust fully that God is going to take care of the quantity. But we believe we have a really good thing here. I'm telling you when people come to our church, I'm excited to have them here. I want to introduce them to a lot of you or to all of you because I think there's there's something special going on here in God's family at cross point and so that's what we're looking for at least two hundred people on a on a on a regular basis um and we'll and and again that's that's not wishful thinking that's just You know, those of us that are already kind of committed to Crosspoint just showing up every week, and you're going to see that um, we're going to need more chairs here, which is a great thing. And we hope that when you come, that you will be blessed, uh, both by being able to I don't know where else you might be able to do this, but get together with another 80 people and just sing praises to God. Does anybody else do that anywhere else? I mean, if you go somewhere else for a different service, but during a church service is really the only time when you get to gather with other believers and really sing unto the Lord together. Uh, I hope that you listen to worship music and you sing at home, but this is a really special time. So I just want to encourage you to be here, be committed to coming, and you're going to see that our group will instantly grow to like 200 people every Sunday just by having everybody be a little more consistent in their attendance. I want to share a couple of announcements with you. First, I just want to praise God, thank Him for allowing us to go to the KMG event yesterday. There was about 25 men from our church that attended that. Uh, We had some great speakers. It was such a blessed time, and... um, I could stay here and talk to you about it for, for hours, just things that I'd learned, things that I heard that I was blessed with. But uh, for those men that, that attended, thank you, and I hope that you were blessed. And we need to, you know, step up as men and, and uh, be the husbands, the dads, the neighbors, the uncles that God has called us to be. I want to share with you... Our Bible bowlers are in Arizona, so let's keep them in prayer. As for, you know, traveling mercies as they come back today. I know they were visiting our Lopez family, our dear Jedver and his family over there in, in Arizona, in Mesa. And um, I'm sure they're, they're going to be coming back soon if they're not on the road already. So keep them in prayer. We miss them. I'm proud to say that a lot of them, though they're young, uh, we miss them for many reasons. But one of those reasons is that a lot of them are in charge of, you know, cameras, and are, they're part of our AV team. They help in our nursery, so they're they're really special individuals, and we we miss them every time they're not here. Uh, but there's probably at least twenty people from our church that are out this morning that are in Arizona. Also, I was asked to mention this. There's going to be a motherhood seminar April 16th. This is a fir- probably the first time you hear about it, uh, but CJ is. Uh, Working on that, together with uh, Obria, the women's clinic here in Whittier that we collaborate with, they have a curriculum that they've used for a youth group, but they also have a curriculum for motherhood. And so we're really looking forward to that. We're thinking it's going to be like a one-day event. She's looking for volunteers. All right? So she's looking for volunteers very early on. Uh, so I'm just mentioning it right now, really, so you can put it on your radar, maybe on your calendar, pencil it in. But also, if that's something that interests you, um, I don't think she's reached out to any of the women that would normally be in charge some of our women's events, so it's it's we have a date we have the people that are willing to come and and share that curriculum with us and um, and now you know about it so if you if that interests you, you want to be part of a committee setting that up and prepping that um, talk to talk to C j lastly <clears throat> yeah those are those are the uh, announcements. So as you walked in, you should have gotten one of these. If you didn't, Jose will come around and uh, provide you one. If you want to take communion with us and you didn't grab one, just raise your hand and he'll come around. And to to do that, in preparation for that, I want to share with you Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. And we're really just going to focus on verse 14, but I want to read this small section here. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 Titus is a very short three-chapter letter from Paul to Titus. And in chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, pay super close attention to verse 14, but it says this. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And listen to verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So part, part of the reason why I chose this section is because this morning, if, if you got our, our newsletter, which you should have, And you saw the title of this morning's message. The the title of this morning's message is Majestic Trinity. We're going to do some serious theological discussion here. We're going to talk about the Holy Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. And here in these verses, in verse 13, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ it's so clear here that Jesus Christ is both our Savior and our God. So just keep that in mind. We're not going to come back to this verse during the message, but verse 14, speaking specifically about Jesus our Lord, he gave himself for us, and he did that at the cross of Calvary. For what purpose? That he might redeem us or buy us back from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Who are you as a child of God? You are God's own special people that are to be zealous for good works that means we should wake up in the morning and first thing that should come out of our mouth after thank you lord for allowing me to wake up is what do you have for me to do today what good work have you prepared beforehand that i should walk in that that changes the outlook of my day And I would love to say that I do that every day. I'm sure I miss here and there. But I try to make that my priority as I wake up. Thank God and say, Lord, I trust that in your sovereignty, you have prepared good works for me to walk in, like you say, in Ephesians 2.10. And I want to submit myself to that. I want to be on the lookout for that. I want to be zealous for good works. I want to look forward to seeing how you could use me to bless other people in your name. Isn't that awesome? That's probably what you guys do already. I'm speaking to the choir. I realize that. But here our Lord gave himself for us that he might buy us back from every lawless deed. To could preach on this verse. It says that he redeemed us through his blood and his sacrifice from every lawless deed. You've heard me say this before. God saves us not just from some sins, not just from our ugliest sins. He saves us from every lawless deed. If you're a child of God, you stand perfect in Christ. No need to give yourself a guilt trip. You can let go of every bad thing you've ever done, every bad word that's come out of your mouth, every bad thought you've ever had and will have. He has redeemed us from every lawless deed that he has purified for himself. See, he does everything. He has purified for himself, that's us, his own special people, zealous for good works. I love it. So as we take communion and you peel back the first layer here, you take the bread, symbolic, representative of our Lord's sinless body that was hung on the cross for our sins. Let's take that together. And as you peel back the second layer, you reveal the Jews that represents the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord, with which he paid the price of our every lawless deed. Let's take that together. That should be everybody's reaction as we take the Lord's communion. Gracious Father, we're grateful to you. We're grateful that we get to make remembrance and a proclamation of what you and your love has done through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Holy Spirit, we give you glory because we know that these truths can only be understood through you or by you. So we thank you for the salvation of our souls, for the redemption of our every lawless deed. We pray that you would guide us and lead us this morning. I'm grateful. I thank you for everybody who's here, for everyone who's joining us online. Father, that you will be glorified as we talk about this very special and deep topic of the Holy Trinity we give you praise, honor, and glory. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, beloved. Today we get to continue the messages based on the gospel according to Luke, and we are going to finish chapter 3. I kid you not, we are zooming through chapter 3. It's not going to be this fast in the later chapters, but um, I'll tell you now, we're, gonna, we're, we're definitely not going to go into great detail for sure from verses 24 through the end, because there you have the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll say this now, because I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you about it, but I am amazed. I'm always writing things on my Bible, highlighting, making notes, putting comments here, and at the end of chapter 3, I just put, with an exclamation mark, I put, wow. Because what Luke does is he takes the, Genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and He traces it all the way back to not just Abraham and not just to Noah and not just back to Adam, but obviously all the way back to God. If you don't know what I mean, just kind of read that later on. But we're going to start where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about um, the message of uh, repentance and baptism of repentance. And we left off in verse 14 when uh, John the Baptist was speaking to some of the people that were coming to him to be baptized. So we're going to pick up in verse 15, and I'll tell you right now that our key verse is really going to be one, which is verse 22. And we're going to talk about the Holy Trinity. The, The title of this morning's message is Majestic Trinity. And before I read that, as you're ready to read that, let me share with you a key verse. Um, Because I want to tell you that the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. And for many years, I've done this several times before, kind of studied the topic and I'll look at arguments against the Trinity and and one of the silly, weak arguments that is actually very popular in, in speaking against the Trinity is that, hey, the word Trinity never appears in the Bible. It's like, okay, but that that is is that's nothing. The fact that the word does not appear itself in there does not negate the fact that the topic or the substance of it is actually there. So I'll share this verse. Second Corinthians chapter, um, I don't know what chapter is not on my it's not on my uh, on my notes here, but it's verses thirteen and fourteen. It says, yeah, so it says, I believe it's chapter 1 in Second Corinthians. Verses 13 and 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So here's Paul speaking, and, and many times, and I hope that after this message, maybe as you read the scriptures, you will have this in mind that as you're reading scriptures, you're going to see portions like this where it speaks clearly about the Trinity, and by Trinity I mean that God is one, but it's three persons in one. And so here Paul says that the grace of our one, Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, reference to God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And so you see here where Paul references the three in one, or here he's not referencing necessarily one, but he's referencing all three, and... Even though you won't find the word three in here, by reading it, you can conclude that he's talking about three different beings or three different persons, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So I wanted to share that verse and let you know there's a lot of verses like that in the Bible. And so even though you won't find the word Trinity, you will find the concept from Old all the way to New Testament. And we're going to discuss some of that today. Here's the main point. The main point is that a basic understanding and acceptance of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is necessary to glorify God. And let me say this, maybe if you've grown up, even if you grew up in a Catholic church, you were taught that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you grew up in a Christian environment, you were taught that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But outside of that, most religions, and including a lot of cults that would that would call themselves Christians, don't believe in the triune God. So Muslims don't believe in the Trinity. Hindus, they're polytheistic. They're all over the place. Um, And then when you start bringing it home a little bit, you talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't believe in the deity of Christ, neither do Mormons. And so we might... Uh, take it for granted that we've grown up understanding this or believing this or at least knowing this, but you should know that most people in the world do not accept the concept or the doctrine of a triune God in the Christian faith. And the question becomes, again, Luke writes to Theophilus in order that he would share everything so that Theophilus could be certain of the things that he's been taught And I'll say this also, when it comes to the Trinity, it's a, oh, I'll say this, it's an impossible topic to fully understand. And there's so many things that I want to share with you. I want to tell you that as Christians and students of the Word, just because something is difficult to understand or impossible to fully grasp, we should not dismiss that. We should not dismiss those concepts or ideas or doctrines that are difficult to understand. Uh, what we do is we go back to the Word. We ask God for clarity. We research. We read good authors, good teachers. And we always come back and, re- and, and compare it to Scripture. What does the Bible say? And I will tell you that when it comes to the topic of Trinity, it's, it, it, it's many times seen as controversial. But it's only controversial because there's so much misunderstanding and lack of understanding towards the topic because it's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. But again, you won't find the word Trinity, but you will find the Trinity in every book of the Bible. So I hope that today's message will do a couple of things. One, we will address it so that it's not like an elephant in the room kind of a thing. Like we never talk about the Trinity. Uh, and then two, uh, my, my biggest hope after today is that we will gain a more majestic, that's why I titled that, view of God. Because truly, if we were able to understand God fully or figure him out or put him in a box, then we would have to say, well, what kind of a God are we, are we trusting in, believing in? But I would say that rather than being confused about or having this create doubt in us about the Trinity because we can't fully understand it, I would say read the scriptures and let this topic and topics like this leave you in awe of the God that we believe in and serve. Understand that he is not like us. We are like him in the sense that we are created in his likeness, in his image, but we are not exactly like him. He is f- far above us, us, greater, stronger, wiser than anything that we can comprehend. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of God that I want to trust in for my salvation and my redemption. So a basic understanding and acceptance of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is necessary to glorify God. Um, so let me start reading. All of that was in form of introduction. So let me start reading here in verse 15. It says, Now as the people went, were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you in water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn. his barn, and the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire." And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people, but Herod, the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. And I I share this, it's not going to come up in Luke, but I shared this with the youth group on Friday who are also going through Luke, uh, that John is arrested. He's probably 30 years old still, Right? The Lord Jesus Christ is only uh, six months younger than him, and John is imprisoned and never to be released. He is later uh, beheaded by Herod uh, because he finished his work. He was the forerunner to the Christ, and when he finished his work, the Lord chose to take him home. And I say that because if you know the story, sometimes we feel like, wow, that's a tragedy I mean, he was in the prime of his life. Why would would God do that? Why would God do this mean thing to him after he was faithful to him? And that just tells us we have the wrong perspective on everything, life, in our existence. Because when we see something like that as a tragedy, John, at the time he was beheaded and soon thereafter, would never say that that was a tragedy. But being in the presence of God he would have said, why would I want to stay back? I did that which God chose me even before I was in my mother's womb, and I did that to the best of my ability, and when that was finished, God brought me home. But us on this side kind of see things like that as a tragedy, as something terrible, maybe even, and sometimes things like that happen to us, and we get angry at God. And I'll say this, there are a lot of things that I don't understand, of course, and we all go through tragedies and difficulties, but if we can put and keep our eyes on God, it makes things a lot easier. So, verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. So, this is like a really, really special portion here. There aren't that many like this. And so, something special is happening. Luke is just simply narrating the facts, right? So, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to John, obviously, before he was arrested. So, this is not exactly in chronological order. And so, the Lord comes to John. Remember, John is trying to impede Jesus from being baptized. Like, wait a minute. You're going to come be baptized by me? I should be baptized by you. And the Lord says, like, it needs to be done. Let's just get, it, get that done in fulfillment of the law. And uh, so he gets baptized. And, and then Luke says that, that Jesus, has been, as he's being baptized, or soon after he's baptized, he prays. And so this, these verses are really special because even though Luke is just telling the story, in telling the story... He's telling us something really special here because this is one of the few places where you see the Holy Trinity interacting in one place at one time. So it says, verse 21 again. I'll read it again. So when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him right so there's jesus our lord being baptized praying the heavens open and then the holy spirit in a bodily form like a dove comes down and rests upon him and then the third person of the holy trinity which is the father it says that there is a voice from heaven that says you are my beloved son who says son to somebody Well, the father says that to he says son you and you I am well pleased. And in that instant, you see an interaction, we get to see an interaction of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. And I'm going to share some portions where that is also the case. And that's why I wanted to share with you this very special doctrine or teaching of the Trinity. But let me finish reading verses 23, and then we are going to skip the thousand names that are right there, because half of them I can't pronounce, and then the other half I will pronounce incorrectly anyway. So verse 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as it was supposed, the son of Joseph, right? So he, people believed he was the son of Joseph, even though Joseph was his stepdad, and then it goes on to give us this genealogy. I would just say about the genealogy that it is different from, uh, especially from Abraham to the Lord Jesus Christ, which, which encompasses 2,000 years and so most people believe that in Luke, it's, it's sharing Joseph's genealogy. And here, it's including Mary's genealogy. And so if you read that, I'll just point out a couple of names, right? You have, he's a descendant of David. He's a descendant of Abraham. Uh, obviously, you, you, as you get back towards the, the beginning of humanity, you see Noah from whom we all come from, right? We all came from Adam, but we also all came from Noah after the flood because it was only Noah, his wife, three kids and their wives, and so we are all descendants of Noah as well. And then you have uh, people like Methuselah, who was the person that lived the longest, almost a thousand years. And then you have uh, Enosh. Uh, you have people like Enoch. So what we could have done, just so you know, if we did want to take ten years going through Luke, we could go through these names and just maybe point out some of these names because they're amazing stories. Um, and uh, But we're not going to do that. Uh, and then I'll just read verse 38, which is the last verse of chapter 3. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And so they're able to trace back the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ to all the way back from the beginning to God. I think that's amazing. I'm blown away by that. But we're not going to spend a lot of time on in that. Instead, what we're going to do, we're going to come back and we're going to look at verses 21 through 22 and really spend most of our time there. It's not a lot of time, so let's get to it. So the doctrine of the Holy Trinity teaches us that. Okay, so we're going to do a, a basic, and I think any study of the Holy Trinity is really basic, uh, even though it's quite profound. But we're going to do a basic Exposition of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And so the, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity teaches us that, and my three points are based on that. The doctrine of the Holy Trinity teaches us that, point number one, there is one God. There is one God. Monotheism versus polytheism. A lot of cultures believed in poly, there were polytheistic, meaning they believed in many gods. We believe, the Bible teaches, one God. I'll share some verses with you. 1 Timothy verse chapter 2 verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Look, if Jesus is not God, you cannot make sense of the Bible. If the Holy Spirit is not God, you cannot make sense of the Bible. When you speak to people that don't believe in the Trinity, don't believe that Jesus is God, they'll show you a verse here and a verse there out of context and they, I can assure you, they do not have a basic, fundamental, good understanding of the scriptures, of the Bible. They, have, they know a verse here and a verse there. And they're like, look, you see? It sounds contradictory. It's like, read that. And, beloved, it's really important for us to be students of the word. I'll, I'll tell you a, as it relates to this. Yesterday, there was a speaker at, at the KMG, and they were talking about how you could lose, alluding to the fact that you could lose your salvation if you're not careful. And he used Matthew seven twenty one, And he said, you know, when people are doing things for God and doing this, and he says, only through the power of the Spirit can you do something like that. And then God tells them, get away from me. I never knew you. And I'm thinking, like, no, that's not what that says. Like, you just said it. God says, get away from me. I never knew you. It doesn't say I used to know you and then I don't know you anymore. It says I never knew you. That's just bad interpretation of scripture. And we're all faulty here and there, so it's not like I'm going to point him out or anything like that. But I want you to be—I want you to understand that what my, the most important thing I can tell you, one of the most important things is to be for you to encourage you to be good students of the Word and don't believe what I say; believe what the Bible says. So here we go. So. The apostle Paul says, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So one God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, known as the Shema, it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Later on in Exodus chapter 20, the, the, the Ten Commandments, you should have no other gods before me. Why? Because there's only one God. Monotheistic. We believe in one God, but we also see point number two that there are three persons in God's divine nature. And understand some of the words that we use here like if we use for example godhead uh when we talk about divine nature of God I'll say this when it comes to the holy trinity we believe in one what? In one what? One God. And if you really think about what you mean by God, might be different from what somebody else is God. Like, what's the word God? I want you to think about some of these things. What do you mean by when you say God? Are you referring to God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? The what, 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 what meaning do you give this word? And so we're going to use some words that, that we, we, we use that we're familiar with to try to describe somebody who, in other words, would be indescribable. We're talking about God who is greater, more awesome than anything that we could imagine or try to articulate, but there, are, there, there is one what? There is one God, but there is three who's, all right? And it sounds contradictory, but it isn't. If I was to tell you there, are, there is one what, but there's also three what's, then we would have a problem, If I say there are three who's, but there's really one who, then we have a problem. But we're saying there is one what, one God, and three who's, three persons in the Holy Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If nothing else, I hope you just get a little confused if you're not very good at this, and you say, you know what, I'm not going to trust what Mike said. I'm going to go back and read the Bible, Then I would say, I've done my job. And if you have any questions, let's talk. I would love to have these conversations. In fact, go to your growth group and ask them, Hey, Mike said this. What do you say? Ha-ha. So there are three persons in God's divine nature. Luke chapter 3, verse 22. We just saw that, so we're not going to read it again. But Matthew 28, 19. The Great Commission, the Lord himself says, Go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the singular name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did Jesus, was he confused? Was his syntax off? Does he, know how to, does he not know how to speak? Was he in the name, in the one singular name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Why is that not contradictory? Because there's three, but there's three in one. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. If if we don't believe and accept even a basic understanding of the Holy Trinity, none of these verses make sense. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Over and over, there's a lot of portions like this that speak of the, tri- the triunity of God. When, when you start getting into what, like a Jehovah's Witnesses teaches, where Jesus is a God but not the God, it doesn't work. There's no way. God is a jealous God. He will not share his glory with anyone. Three persons, one in God's divine nature. So the doctrine of the Holy Trinity teaches us that there is one God. But it also teaches us there are three persons in God's divine nature. And I'll say this. Many times we try to figure it out. and We'll say like, well, you know, God is like Water. You know, water can be ice, vapor, and liquid. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of maybe taps into the 0.01% of perhaps an understanding of who God is, sort of. But it doesn't even come close. So we believe that Jesus is God, but Jesus is not the Father. And the Holy Spirit is God. But the Holy Spirit is not the Father and he's not the Son. And in portions like we read right here where it comes up in Luke during Lord's baptism, it's clearly stated that they are not, that they are different. There's different personalities. And when we say three persons, that is a word that we try to use to describe something that is really indescribable. So when we say God in three persons, like uh, the hymn that I love, holy, 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 God in three persons, holy, holy. When we say persons, you probably think about people and their personality, and you try to use that to describe God, and it doesn't quite exactly work, but that's the best that we can do. What I'm saying is God is indescribable. In many ways, he is incomprehensible to the fullest, by far, by far. But hopefully you've experienced and you walk with the Lord that the more you read, the more you study, the more you grow, you have a greater appreciation of who God is. Because the more we know him, the more we realize how more awesome he is than what I thought before. And that's going to happen for the rest of your life, beloved. I'm I'm so happy that I had my pastor for like 30 years who was preaching even at 90 years old. And he would say that, you know, the more I learn, the more I realize how little I know. The more I study, the more I realize how much more there is to learn about God. Isn't that awesome? I'm half his age. I have no illusions that I have everything figured out. But it's an honor and a privilege and a joy to search these things out. So point number three. We're talking about majestic trinity. The doctrine of the Holy Trinity teaches us that there is one God, that there are three persons in God's divine nature. And point number three, that each person in the trinity is fully God. So it's not like... I don 't even want to know or compare with anything, but it 's not like when they're together, that 's God, and then they break up and they 're like, you know a third God, and they go their separate way it's not like that. The Holy Spirit is fully God, the Lord Jesus Christ is fully God, and God the Father is fully God. and by the way, even these titles that we put on them they 're biblical, but they're they're equal. In essence, they are equal in nature. They are equal in their attributes. I hope you're like, what does that mean? Because, but I love thinking, and and preaching on this and teaching on this. So point number three, each person in the Trinity is fully God. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I just use that verse to the, the one that people that even aren't Christians would grant you that God the Father is God. So that one is kind of like the easy one. God the Father is God. When it comes to the deity of Christ, is where most problems arise. When it comes to uh, other other religions or cults, so Colossians chapter, so Ephesians one three speaks of God the Father. Being God. Colossians 2, verse 3 speaks of Jesus Christ being God. And I'm just sharing one verse, but we could do Christology for years, the study of Christ and his deity. So Colossians 2 9, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And, and you read that Paul in the his writings to the church, to the Colossians, was addressing uh, Big problem where, where people were negating the fact that Jesus was, in fact, God. And that's still a problem today. And so he goes, that's one of the portions where he, Paul, goes into depth and, and very clear about Jesus being God in the flesh. And then, speaking of the Holy Spirit, in chapter 5, there's kind of like a classic, uh, and these, these are just some verses that you're probably familiar with, but there are tons Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 3. You know what happens there? The church is just kind of getting started. There's people from all over the place. People are getting hungry. They have these different needs. And some people within the church start selling their properties and bringing the money to the apostles so that they can distribute it as people had need. And then you have this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, where they kind of hypocritically sell a property and they bring the money saying, This is all we got for this property when they were holding money back. They conspired against the church. And against the Holy Spirit, Peter says. And so in chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To the Holy Spirit. And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was not in it, that in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So Peter says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Why would you do that? You're not just lying to us. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're lying to God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. We need to understand that. If you don't, it does not make sense. And I want us to really take ownership of of doctrines like this that are difficult. And and I, I say this sincerely. I've probably studied more for this message than perhaps any other and there's tons and tons of biblical um, information that speak of from the beginning in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth Like god the father or this and then you read john chapter one in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and the word became flesh later on in verse 14 it says that all things were created through him so in the beginning, when God created the world, was it God the Father, the Holy Spirit, or the Son? And, and you start getting into things like when, in chapter 14, when, the, when Philip asked the Lord, you know, if, if you just show us the Father, Lord, it'll be enough. And, and then the Lord turns to Philip and says, Philip, what's wrong with you? I've been with you all this time. And you don't know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Like, what? I want you to be excited about studying things like this. But a basic understanding would be the Bible teaches that there is one God, that there are three persons in God's divine nature, and that each person in the Trinity is fully God. And that is not a contradiction, but it is something that in our brains, in our experiences, is difficult to understand. And I'll say this last thing. I don't believe I understand fully anything about God. When I think about his eternity, eternity or eternality, I can not understand that. When I think about his love, I can't comprehend it. His mercy, his grace, his ability to know everything, to do everything, having all power, being omnipotent, being holy, I don't fully understand any of those things. But that's the God that I trust in, the God that reveals himself through Scripture, through the Lord, but there is so much more to him. And it is our honor, our pleasure, and our joy to search him out. And as we do that, what happens is the more you know God, the bigger he becomes. In your mind, he's always big. But the more you understand him, the bigger he becomes in your life and the smaller you become in comparison to him. And then we'll be like John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. And then we find our place in this world where we can serve him with God's love and appreciation of who he is because we realize how worthy he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for this wonderful morning. Thank you for these minutes that we get to spend praising you, but also studying your word. Father, I understand this is a difficult topic, and we thank you for the faith that you've given us. Thank you for the desire to want to know you. Uh, We pray that you would help us to be good students of the word, that we would take on uh, teachings that we find in the Bible and, and take ownership of those, Father, and really search them out in order that we would know you better. We thank you for the revelation that you have given us. We pray for forgiveness for our slackfulness or for our lack of effort in, in, in this. But help us all to to, make, uh, to be resolved in saying, I, I want to know you better, Father. Lord Jesus, I want to honor you. In Holy Spirit, I want to depend on you. and." and And allow us to grow spiritually in order that we will be more like Christ for your honor and glory. I thank you for this time. We pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in the precious, wonderful, and eternal name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you, beloved. You are dismissed.